is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal. And we're in kind of a series without even rethinking and pre-thinking the series. We have a series of transformational individuals who are talking about different ways to think about their evolution as human beings and their own personal experience and then what, what they're doing about it and how they can help you rethink where you are, where you're stuck, how you can get unstuck. And we have a wonderful guest today, Or Shahar from Berlin. Or, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Aura is going to talk to us. She's originally from Israel. She's living in Berlin now, as I said. And she's going to talk to us about yoga and the transformational experience that she had with yoga in her life. And so what I'm going to do is just do a quick word from our sponsor on the front end, and then we'll do a formal introduction. So Core Brain Journal is supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved, targeted mind science details at work. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond the commonplace guesswork. And they also provide, this is interesting, multiple training webinars for both the public and medical providers on how to use their data, uh, any data, effectively in their offices. Check out their website for references and testing details. And take note on this point, they do have a giveaway over there. If you go over there and register, you can register for a complimentary test drawing. There are a variety of tests that are available, organic acid tests, IgG, immunoglobulin G. You have to go over there and see which one is up for this week. And if you go to Great Plains Laboratory with an S, greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ, Core Brain Journal, that'll take, that's for CBJ is obviously for Core Brain Journal. That'll take you to where you can register. So let me tell you about Or. So Or Shahar started suffering from depression in late adolescence, and she also took her first yoga course during her first trip to India at only 18 years old. I'm jealous already. So dealing with depression through yoga is the recurring theme of her adult life. At 23, she again took a plane to India where she discovered her deep connection to Buddhism, took her first yoga teacher training, and started to seriously practice yoga as well. For the past four years, she's taught yoga in the Berlin area while deepening her own practice every day and having a great time raising her beloved dog. She's got a great dog. We can talk about that one later. So tell us about, because I, there's many facets, just that brief introduction, that are curious. Let's talk a little more about your personal narrative, how you got started, a little more into that, and what yoga did for you, and then the transformational experience that uh, subsequently followed. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I started with a really early age. So I always had yoga as something that supported me and always had it as some kind of an alternative way of looking at things. In the beginning, when I just started, first of all, I was very young and also, I was not very serious about it. I didn't kind of really appreciate what it really means. And I didn't really devote myself to it for the first few years. Like, as I said, it was a part of my life. It was some kind of an alternative that was available to me, that was in my consciousness, you can say. But I didn't really devote myself to it completely until I started to recover from my first serious depression. And I think then when I started to feel a bit better and I still had a lot of questions about life and who I am and what I want to do with my life, even I felt better. This is where I really found out how important yoga 
can be for me and how much it can support me beyond what I thought it can. And this is what also brought me to go again to India to make the investigation of time and money to spend some time there and really devote myself for study and for practice also, quite a lot of practice. And yeah, and from there, things kind of rolled up that in the last few years, I also teach quite a lot. And I see how it can also work for other people. So it became from something that I do mostly for myself to something that I also do for other people. And I see how it can transform their life as well. Well, Lauren, it's quite interesting that at 18, a lot of individuals are quite innocent at 18. How did you at 18 years old even begin the practice of yoga? Was it in your family? Were there people that you knew? What was that connection that led you, hey, I'm just going to give this a shot? What was the connection? Yeah, so I have a very wonderful sister, <laughs> and she traveled to India before me for a relative long period of time. And actually, my first trip to India was her, I think, second trip that she kind of took me with her. Like She just wanted to do a little bit of a break from life. And she somehow convinced me and my parents that I will come with her because she thought I would like it. And she was right. She was very right. She also the same sister that thought that I might like Berlin and she moved here before me and she always told me like, yeah, you, I think you will fit here. And I indeed fit here pretty well. I'm here already for six years and counting. Mm -hmm. So I just have a lot of luck. And she was also practicing yoga a little bit. And she also kind of told me like, yeah, maybe you should try it out. So yeah, I guess I was pretty lucky. And I think in Israel, generally speaking, there are quite a lot of young people who visited India became kind of part of the culture that after the military service, which is mandatory, everybody has to do that. So uh, it became also almost mandatory to travel the world a little bit after that, before you commit yourself for study and family and many things. So I met also other people who visited India and I met also other people usually older than me, that were practicing yoga. So it was not totally something out of the blue. Nowadays, my parents even practice yoga. Many of my friends practice yoga. After many years of being together, I even convinced my husband to try it. So I'm very blessed to have a lot of people around me who are also interested in these kind of things. So take it, break it down for some of us, because we haven't had a person, we've talked about yoga in a global sense with a couple of other interview interviewees, but I think what would be very helpful would be to just put a little more of a, a grid work, a, a lattice work on which we could hang our hats in the different types of yoga, and then we'll talk about how yoga actually can do something for you, and we'll talk about the relationship between yoga and Buddhism. There's so much to talk about, but Let's go back and just talk about, for starters, what the different types of yoga are and what the indications are for each of those subsets. Yeah, so that's a very common question, actually. It's a good question because a lot of people, when they start, even if you just look of like... Uh, our plan, like a class plan of a studio, you see all the different kinds and it's very confusing. People find it hard to understand what are these different kinds and what is the best kind for them. Basically, yoga started in India a very, very long time ago. Like I will give a, a very short history of yoga. I think it's a very good frame to a little bit understand what it is about. So it started mostly as a spiritual tradition, which from the start, at least as far as I understand, was in certain ways, not completely, but in certain ways separated also from religion. Like you have the religion in India and you have the yoga tradition. And it was also an oral tradition. It means that mm. it kind of went from a guru, a teacher to a disciple and some disciples became a guru and then they have their own disciples. And this is how it went for many, many generations. At some point, they started to systemize it 
it was not that long ago. It was around maybe 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago. They were starting to write things down, to systemize it. A very known text in this context would be the Sutras of Patanjali. And afterwards, for example, the Hatha Yoga Padimika. Yeah, just if it's interesting for somebody, you know, just a few names of important texts that kind of build what we know as yoga today. Mm-hmm. And then came a very big important part of the history of India, which is the British colonization. (laughs) And then, obviously, this whole spiritual tradition was not granted a lot of respect. It not granted a lot of space inside society. And that already, again, this is as much as I understand, I'm not a history expert, but it already kind of created a situation when yoga became a more of a physical exercise. There was much more emphasis of building a strong body, of looking very strong, and also the dynamic between a teacher and students became somewhat different under this circumstances and when in more modern time when India came to the West this kind of idea of yoga as a physical practice became even stronger because the teachers were very skillful and they saw what is interesting what is available where can they find the students where they are and they saw that through the physical exercises they can get a good connection and open a door which is very available for Western students. So basically everything that we practice today, it's Hatha Yoga. This is the phase that we are still in, in the history of yoga, you can say. Mm-hmm. And it just divided to different styles that became existent through different teachers. Oh. So you have, for example, I don't know, Ayangar, so there was a guru named Ayangar, and he had his own way of teaching, and he established his own school. And this kind of style is still practiced today by some students. The same with Ashtanga, with Kundalini Yoga, different kind of yogas. And nowadays, it's kind of slowly moving to a phase when it's more about, not so much about the teacher and his system, but more about like what kind of yoga do you want? Do you want something that it's more relaxing? Do you want something that it's more spiritual? Do you Mm -hmm. want something that helps you to self-explore yourself? Do you want something very physical that you need to sweat a lot? Do you want to practice in a very, very hot room and it's more about what kind of an experience are you looking in a yoga class so let's break those down pardon me for interrupting but let's take that was very helpful so let's talk about all of these different yoga practices are hatha yoga basically yes like if you really uh, take it literally then they are all hatha yoga Nowadays, when you look like in a studio brochure, when they say Hatha Yoga, it's usually very classical yoga, very relaxed, not very dynamic, and not necessarily with a lot of flow and a lot of movement, maybe more stillness. This is what you can expect if you have like a Hatha Yoga, if it's more like a Vinyasa, so it's usually more with flow and more movement. If you go to a Bikram, which is also actually just a name of a teacher, actually, it's usually like in a very hot room. There are yin yoga, for example, it's like very, very slow, very, very relaxed. As its name, it's focused on like yin energy, which is very subtle energy. Yeah, like this is just to name a few. There are many, but I think that can give some kind of a a context. Yeah, that's helpful because I think people wonder what's the, like, for example, Kundalini. How would a person say, like, they say, like you just mentioned a moment ago, I want to find myself, I'm lost, I'm depressed, kind of where you were when you were a kid. Then what would be a recommendation from a more, if you will, psychological point of view in terms of the outcome that you're trying? There's, so there'd be a relaxation, there would be finding oneself 
Tell us a little bit about those different uh, patterns, if you will, please. Yeah, I think for people with depression, especially from my point of view, I would even say, yeah, I don't know if it really matters what kind of class do you go, to be okay. really honest with you. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> I think it's important that you will go to a class that fits you. I mm-hmm. think that what many people falls into is to go into which style is the most fitting for me mm-hmm. and which is a, an important thing to check. But I think more important even than that is the teacher because you can have in each of these styles teachers that are not really aware of trauma or about, you know, finding people in their own place, being very sensitive to them. And in all styles, you can find teachers that have the capacity to hold space for somebody who is struggling. Oh, good, good. So I think it really depends on the person. And I know what I work with people, especially if I have like private classes of things like that, I would always try to fit it to what the person actually needs. Some people need, mostly in the beginning, a lot of movement. Some people are more interested in more introspective kind of things. But I think the the most important thing is just to start. And I think that especially for people who are suffering from mental health disorders and all kind of mental health issues, the main thing is just to get themselves in a situation when they even make the effort to go to a class, to put themselves in a situation when they really keep with it regularly. So this is why I think like a good connection with teacher is really important and maybe even go to the teacher and tell them like, hey, look, I'm struggling right now. I might need a little bit of a different kind of assistance or a different kind of support. I think this is actually the most important part just to try. And even if you try a class or you try and you don't find a good teacher, so at least you tried and you know what's not working for you right now. Mm-hmm. And then you, it's easier to try something else than if you just stay at home and doesn't even try. So then, and when would a person say, well, I want to do hot yoga? I mean, they're really, that person is saying, I'm really trying to do an aerobic exercise. It's going to be more of a strength and um, more emphasis on, on body I'm hesitating to say this because it also is going to hit hit the mind as well. Obviously, I'm that's why I'm beating around the bush about it. But what would be an indication? For, let me put it in a different phrase. What would be an indication for a person doing hot yoga as opposed to a more flow state? I think I see it personally as the level of distraction that they need. Like how distracted do they need to be? <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think that in order to really do a deep inner work. I can say it also from my own experience. This I can say for sure that there were times in my life and there are still times that, for example, a silent Zen meditation is just too much. I just cannot really sit in silence for long periods of time and just observe my mind. Like my mind is just too Too wild yeah too active too wild too out of control (laughs) to actually do something like that and then a very active physical exercise might be a more appropriate idea i see so it really depends where you are with your mind right now and what is your capacity to really observe your mind without judgment because i think from my point of view when I think about how yoga can help people with depression, I think one of the qualities that you can get from practicing yoga is to really observe your body and observe your mind without judgment. And even to just observe your mind, which is something that we don't do on a regular basis. We usually distract with whatever we are doing, with work, family, other worldly concerns, whatever is in front of us. And we rarely take the time to really reflect and look what is going on inside of us and how it's influenced our life and what I really think about myself and others or what I even really think. So these also have different degrees of how much you are capable of dealing with this. And I advise people to just be really, really honest with themselves about where they are right now and just take it slowly and carefully 
and just start with something that it's fitting to where they are at the moment and not to think like I need to do a lot of meditation, but I cannot. So there is something wrong with me. I just do whatever I can do and I aspire to do more meditation in the future. And this might or might not happen. And that's okay. Yeah. So yoga in that situation would be in a way, two things. It would be the practice itself. But if a person had a certain measure of, I can't settle myself, I'm looking for myself, I can't find myself, to maybe get into meditation at some future time. It is a form of meditation that has some activity with it that would then be a transition for a person who's going to do a straight sitting meditation if they wanted to go in that direction. But they could also find themselves in the practice of yoga thinking about they actually have a certain mindfulness in the process of yoga with focus. Yeah, definitely. Mindfulness is a big, important part of yoga uh, that unfortunately sometimes get a bit lost. Meditation also, from our point of view, it's a part of yoga. Uh, it's one of the many tools that we have beyond just the physical exercise. Like I said, right now we are in a point when yoga is usually associated with only physical exercise, but actually it has many different other parts that mostly for people with depression can be really helpful. It has some general guidelines of how to treat yourself and how to treat others. It has meditation, it has breathing exercises. Yeah, just to name a few important parts of it. Definitely mindfulness is a part of it. So yeah, I know for myself there were times when I was practicing more of these parts of yoga because that was the most available for me at the moment. Well, that sounds very interesting. So the next question is, because they have these now a variety of yoga, for want of a better expression, shops, where <laughs> you can, uh, I mean, they don't call them a dojo. What would, be, uh, what would be a yoga practice site? What it would be called? Studio. Studio, basic. Yeah, basic. Yeah. So, or yoga uh, school, it depends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know they have the one with the uh, mechanical stretching devices. Now, that, is that yoga when you're in the machine? And um, does that count as yoga or is it not? <laughs> yeah, I guess it can be. I don't know. I think it can count. It depends. I don't know exactly what you mean. There are Pilates. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So that, from my point of view, Pilates, it's different than yoga. Okay. It has a different origin. It's a different school. They might look the same, but at the core, they are different. And I think that every Pilates practitioner would also say that. There is also a certain stream inside yoga, uh, mostly people who follow the Ayangar tradition, that they also use a lot of props. Mm -hmm. We don't call it machines, but we call it more props. And that's definitely a style of yoga. But again, it's a very, very physical exercise. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about precision like you use these props in order to get the position to the most precise point that you can have for some people it works very very well for some people it works less i know that for me it didn't work very well and i don't like to use props that much in some i do use them but it's not like my main practice i don't use it for everything i use it maybe once a class or sometimes not at all but yeah you can call this yoga i think it mostly depends what is your intention behind mm -hmm. it and yeah. with what kind of mindset are you doing this practice? This is what really will count as yoga. It's not about the style. As I said, in all styles, you can find teachers that can really convey the very deep core meaning of yoga. And in all styles, you can find teachers that don't have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's not uncommon that they are still not able to really help you and support you and really convey the, the deep meaning of it. And even just to hold space for somebody who is struggling right now, 
like a lot of yoga teachers are just very, very young, or as I said, not very experienced. They come to teaching yoga after practicing themselves for maybe one or two years. So I think it depends, as I said, mostly on the teacher than on the style or the studio. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what I'm going to come back, we're going to take a little break here. And I do have this other question, which I alluded to in the beginning, which I'm looking forward to your response on. You've, you've touched on it a little bit. And as we go further along, I'd like to have you help us understand the interface between Buddhism and yoga. One of the things that I did a lot of reading in Buddhism for many years and um, spent a lot of time like autobiography of yoga, which was, uh, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda. And yet I always thought the book was about meditation, not about yoga, which was interesting. Or I guess that was the autobiography of a yogi, probably. Today, the world of mind, um, science, psychiatry, and, and mental health is so rapidly changing. We come back, we're going to talk about the interface between Buddhism that takes and, both patience uh, and practitioners into a new world of measured <laughs> yeah. details. And, and we'll see, but folks, we'll be back in just a moment. We'll get some answers for those plans. questions. The key phrase here is Today, the world of mind, science, psychiatry, and mental health is testing rapidly changing. The key parallel of comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world and our measured hospitalizations arises directly understandable and remarkably action measurable brain the key phrase here balances and impediments that explicitly also introduces a key parallel medical outcomes and create psychiatric failure especially after multiple medications adequately and our form hospitalization supplement and arises from complexity over time measurable brains provides a leadership balance of biomedical experts that advanced laboratory insights with a medical action by the MPA and clear laboratory certifications and is available internationally supplement for public and medication and trials over time. Great Plains Laboratory Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts years with advanced with laboratory insights customer service approved nationally by the and FDA medical and clear laboratory certifications and is available internationally for exemplary training on medical professionals. Which are webinars Great Plains Laboratory is the in every laboratory, years wherever excellent customer service, you follow both patients on one of these complimentary test offers today or on the spot they get it every time. Great relations, they provide laboratory temporary training modules, slash, with your webinars and conferences in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http. GreatPlainsLaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, here we are back again, and I don't want to uh, disparage at all the practice of yoga. And it has, it's sort of like I'm not on the inside, so I can't really joke about anything I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things. Where, but I just heard myself saying Buddhism and yoga, and I started thinking of the practice has a certain measure of a spiritual practice. And, and, you know, Buddhism, of course, is a spiritual practice, but I can imagine that the spiritual practice of Buddhism is really, it's meditative just as yoga is. So could you tell us a little more about that or and what your perception is of those differences and similarities? Yeah, I would be happy to. I think what I always say in this connection, I have to give a a very, very short history lesson again, because I think that's kind of put things in a good proportion. So basically, Buddha, as you probably know, if you said that you read a lot about Buddhism, he was raised as a Hindu. The same, I think it's kind of comparable the same way that Jesus was a Jew. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can say that Buddha was a Hindu, and you can even say that he was a yogi because at some point he left the palace and started to practice different kind of yoga practices that were available at the time. It was mostly very esoteric practices. It was very, yeah, it was a little bit before our time and how we know yoga today, but basically he was also a yogi, and at some point he kind of just left this world and found a way of his own and at some point he even started to teach and mostly way after he died similarly to Jesus again maybe comparable you know this whole kind of religion and this whole kind of gigantic 
philosophical, religious, spiritual school came out of it. So in many ways, the philosophy is different. There are some things, some core principles in the philosophy of Buddhism, which are significantly different than the philosophy of yoga. Mm. Like if you really go to the deep details of who am I, so if you go to the very philosophical details and if you go very, very deep into the philosophy, which I've done for some years of my life, there are differences and they are clear. And I don't want to talk too deeply about this now because it's a bit complicated. But in the level of practice, many of the practices are similar. And I think that if you really want to go deep in into yoga and if you really want to go deep into Buddhism, whatever, if you're doing just one of them or if you're doing both at the same time, like I do, it's important to go into the differences and to understand these differences. But I think that for a beginner level or somebody who just wants to have an experience or to just want to start with some kind of a practice that can help them to gain a little bit of peace of mind, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. not yet in the point of wanting full liberation and don't want to understand exactly what is the meaning of full liberation in each school. Mm-hmm. So I think the practices are at largely similar and the similarities are bigger than the differences. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, also meditation, it's a very important part of yoga. It's not maybe the most popular part of yoga right now at the Western world, but it's nevertheless a very important part of yoga, mostly from the traditional point of view. All of the other practices that we do, the breathing exercise and the physical exercises, even the moral exercises that you are given, these are just kind of stepping stones in order to be able to do meditation in a more practical and in a more successful, Mm -hmm. so to say, spiritually successful way. There are kind of preparatory entry-level practices, like there is one way to see it. And I don't think that one is better or the other is not so good. One is for Mm -hmm. beginner and one is for advanced, but they are all kind of dependent on each other. You kind of have to do them all in one way or another Mm -hmm. in different phases of your life, in different doses, maybe. So are there really, as you were saying this, I was thinking about my limited superficial understanding (laughs) of the two practices, but I was thinking, you said a very key word there. First of all, there are two concepts, and correct me if I'm wrong, both of them have a certain structure in which you are really going out of your daily world to be more internal in your experience with yourself and your own self self evolution so there's yeah, a structural there's a structural leaving of everyday reality into the internal reality of who you are as a person and that would be one thing that's probably true for both but you said another thing that I thought and I would like you to elaborate on if you would and I and it didn't occur to me previously having read so much but I think the concept of morality I wasn't really thinking about the moral philosophy and the relationship so much with others. But I think that's really one of the things that differentiates Buddhism from yoga. Although there's an implicit oneness with yoga, the oneness with Buddhism is more explicit and more with a higher degree of uh, more profound awareness of one's relationship with the order of, of humanity. Uh, is that true or not? I can see why you think like that. But, uh, <laughs> but you're well, going I, to disagree with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually kind of disagree. There is okay. true that mostly how it's taught today, you can say that Buddhism emphasizes more how you treat other people. And you can say that the yoga practice doesn't emphasize it as much. And I think maybe even if you go to the text, you can even say, even in the classical yoga or in the more classical Buddhism, that might be true. But I wouldn't say that this is not part of yoga. Actually, when you go, for example, for the eight limbs of Patanjali, 
potentially it's a person or a group of people, we are not quite sure, who wrote this really important text that basically everything we know as yoga today is based on this text. And the first thing, the first exercise he gives you, it's how to treat other people. Mm. There are only five rules, but they are very important rules. And this is your entry point. And it is very clear that if you don't have these basics, then it will be very hard to do the rest of the practices. I personally see it, for example, and I saw it in my life many times, many, many practitioners that they say, you know, yeah, yeah, this is kind of like not that important or, you know, they don't put that much emphasis on it or they don't take it seriously enough. And then they, you see that their practice doesn't have roots. It's like mm-hmm. trying to build a really, really gigantic skyscraper without building infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a very, very big tree that have very weak roots. Oh, let me interrupt you for just a second because I want you to, because we're tracking with you and I want to get that word that you said, the particular subsection of the practice and the particular writings of, you you said it and I didn't quite understand. How these uh, moral practices are called, you mean? Yeah, on the yoga side, the writing on the yoga side that that deals with these five elements. Yeah, so this calls yama. And then the second step is Niyama. It's uh, how to treat yourself. And I wrote about it in my blog. I wrote also a little bit about it in my ebook. There are many teachers who talk about it and write about it. This is definitely something that you can search for. Every good book about the eight limbs of yoga by Patanjali or some kind of interpretation of it will talk about the Yama and Niyama. Again, every good yoga teacher that you come to him and ask him about it should be able to explain you what it is about. So yeah, as I said, it's not very popular. It's not the most sexy part of yoga, (laughs) one must admit. It's not the most photogenic part of yoga. Uh, It doesn't look very interesting on Instagram. So yeah, you know, it's kind of get left And a lot of people don't focus on it too much and don't talk about it too much. But you see it farther on. You see it farther on. And I saw it, unfortunately, too many times that if you don't have these basics, if you don't hold on to these very basics, and they're also not that different. Like in my online program, I do this uh, whole lecture about comparing the yama and niyamas with the turn virtues and non-virtues of the Buddhist tradition with the Ten Commandments from Judaism that are often used also in Christianity. And I have to tell you, there are, again, more similarities than differences. There are differences, there are important differences, but there are still less than the similarities. So I think it's safe to say that any kind of spiritual way that you want to go on, you have to have this kind of basic ethics it kind of just keeps you safe and keep your practice stable. You know, this is going to be so interesting, folks. I'm going to tell you, listeners, that in the guest preparation, or sent me a couple of articles, which are probably right along the lines, and maybe she could comment on one is, and these are from her website, freedomyoga.info. And one is stay with it, but don't build a camp there, which I think is pretty interesting, (laughs) which sounds very much like a a Buddhist thought. And then the other article is The Chicken's Lady, which I have no idea what that is, but I'd (laughs) I'd like you to comment on because they probably are going to pull together some of these concepts of what we're talking about. Yeah, basically they're... I go again, I gave this as an example of situations where I dealt with my own struggles with depressions and it's, you can say, different ways of how I dealt with it or maybe how yoga helped me to deal with it. So one of them I can say maybe I will talk more about the one I recently wrote. I think it was a few months ago. Yeah, that I was going through a very emotional time. I was very, very frustrated with some aspects of my life. And I really needed a change and I didn't really know how to go about it. And 
it always felt like, you know, this constant struggle. Like I always came into my limits and didn't know how to break out of it. And at some point I just kind of gave up. I just kind of gave up to the frustration. I didn't try to cover it up. I didn't try to meditate myself out of it or something. (laughs) You know, I was just kind of dealing with it straight on. I used my meditation to confront with uncomfortable things instead of trying to distract myself. I think it's something that a lot of practitioners sometimes do that we kind of use our practice in order to not deal with what we need to deal with. And I decided to use my practice to really go full on with all of the frustration that I had. But at the same time, I also had the wisdom and the experience in meditation and in my practice to know not to go too deep into it, Mm -hmm. to observe it, but without judgment, without feeling sorry for myself and not to, like the example that I give, like I stayed there, but I didn't build a camp there. Mm -hmm. I didn't decide that now this is me and this is how I'm always. And, you know, I didn't define myself through these very hard negative emotions. I accepted them. I experienced them fully. And I let them go. And at the time, that was example, a good example of a time when, for example, a Zen meditation, this is something that I do practice regularly, I had to stop doing for some time. And I really came back to my more physical yoga practice because that enabled me at the time to let go and to just be with this emotion and let them come and then just let them also go as they naturally do. Because what we usually do is we kind of hang on to them. We build a whole story around them. We identify very strongly, mostly with like very strong negative emotions. And then they stay. But if you avoid this kind of strong identification and attachment and building a whole thing around it. So what naturally happens with emotions, every emotion, positive, negative, whatever, they subside, they go. They go Mm -hmm. to the same nothing that they came from. So that was a very helpful thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's possible for a person that have less experience with these kind of things. I think it's possible for me right now after many years of practice. But I think that with the right guidance, Mm -hmm. it's possible for every person. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, again, I practice. Like now I can do it better than I've done it five years ago. But You know, I started practicing more than five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a practice. It takes time, but it's possible. Well, you you know, without being too trivializing this conversation, because it's it's a casual conversation, but nevertheless, it's a deeper conversation, and I don't want to trivialize it. But really, to say it even more succinctly, is you, you just know yourself better. You have a better appreciation of who you are, and what your limits are, and you have a better and improved acceptance of yourself and in all the different relationships that you have. And somewhere in that meditative practice, you were able to let go of the emotional and cognitive preoccupations that were tied up with whatever frustrations were there. You just were saying, this is not as important as my practice and my life and my experience on this earth. It just isn't that important and and you could actually let go of it more. Yeah, I think that sums up very well what a regular yoga and meditation practice can do for a person. (laughs) Uh, Whatever, if they are suffering from mental health issues or not, I think this is definitely the main benefit you can get from it. And I know that from the other side, let's say it like that, like as a teacher, I cannot promise you that I can heal you from depression. I am actually pretty sure that I personally cannot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. um, yeah, like with all honesty, I don't want to promise it to anybody. And I am not in a point in my life as a teacher right now that I can promise it for somebody. And I'm awarely avoiding doing that. I think it depends of how, yeah, what your situation is and how deep is your depression, how hard is your mental state. But I think that yoga can definitely help you deal with it better. I think, and I know, again, from my own experience, that it cannot be like the sole 
therapy that you take because it's not a therapy. Mm -hmm. like you can do an Ayurvedic therapy. You can do a Chinese medicine therapy. You can do a Western medicine therapy. There are different kinds of therapies, but yoga, at least the way I teach it, I don't teach it as a yoga therapy. I don't even use this word. And there are also debates in the yoga world if you can even use this word and whatever it even means. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. It has therapeutical powers you can say or it has some kind of thererapeutical elements but I am not a therapist and I also don't wish thanks to for listening to Cor brain journal mm -hmm. so we're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches and here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know details really do matter one of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference. Me personally, I don't even know if it will ever happen. But I know that I can deal with it much, much, much better. I know myself. I know my patrons. I know my depression. I can read it very clearly. And I have a much bigger toolbox also and a much deeper understanding of how I can deal with it. And as you also said, like I know my limits much better and I can be much more flexible with myself in this way. Well, or you also have a certain abiding sense of humor in <laughs> the way you write. You know, you can see that you are putting things in perspective in a more constructive way, even with this last website, which we're, we're going to have to wind up. But mentioning, I just get a kick out of it. Listeners, she has a website called UpwardFacingDog.com, which I think has an element of humor. I Now, I don't know enough about yoga. I know downward-facing dog, but I think upward-facing dog has a very positive and somewhat humorous, encouraging overview there. Yeah, upward-facing dog is actually also a posture. Oh, it yoga. is? Okay. It's kind of the opposite of downward-facing, and I just thought it's more original mm -hmm. and also maybe a bit more positive because it has like this kind of movement more... Mm -hmm upwards and yeah. i think for me personally this is really like learning to deal with depression better like you still feel a little bit you know like a dog in a way yeah. but it's upward facing you know yeah. and you at least uh, you you try yeah it's a pretty hard posture actually yeah I, I i can imagine i don't even want to think about it because i know downward facing <laughs> dog and i i can't even think about getting uh, my myself into that a remote position even though i don't know what it is so listen or shahar thank you so much for coming on board here we really appreciate it. it's been a very interesting conversation all the way from berlin we we really appreciate you taking the time it's probably sometime dark at night over there and yeah. uh, your energy is great for being as late as it is over here it's 5 p.m. over here. What time is it over there? Now it's almost uh, 11 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. You're up late <laughs> at night. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. My pleasure. Thank so you. So where would you want people to visit with you or if you were to send them to the website uh, that you, you wanted to, to go to? Yeah. It depends a bit what they're interested in. If they're interested in deepening their yoga practice and all the things we talked about, like what is yoga beyond physical exercise. So their website for that will be freedomyoga.info. And I have newly a new website, uh, as you mentioned, Upward Facing Dog. Dot com, which it's specifically for people with depression. So there I offer more specific things that can help people with depression. And as I said, it's still pretty new, but definitely you can find a lot of information there. I think the best thing to do actually is just to write me an email. It's one of my favorite things just to write emails there and back with people who are interested in yoga. And there we can just find out from there how we can work together. 
So I think that was until now the best experiences I had actually. Just contact me directly and we can see how we can start. So her email is going to be available there on her website, I'm sure. We're not going to announce it so that she's got yeah, all the definitely. trash mail coming in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think if you want to send a note to her, go to either one of those websites. I'm sure you can find her there. And Or thanks again so much for taking the time. You've got great energy for 11 o'clock over there in Berlin. We really <laughs> appreciate it. And it's been very, very interesting because you've shed some important light on on different ways. I think what you've really done for me personally is to say, hey, let's get away from what you might call places and things and let's stay with the big picture. And I think that's been very helpful and you put a lot of it in perspective for for all of us. And for that, I want to thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy that I can shed some light on some things. That's always a positive thing to do. <laughs> well, if you have anything else you want to talk about at some future time, don't hesitate to get a hold of Tiffany and we'll We'll do another meeting. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Corbrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.